0: podcast with martin jonesy and legalized cannabis victoria mp rachel payne
1: so it's been a while but we're back with the cannabis podcast i'm martin lane the co-founder of cannabis and joining me is our chief correspondent steve jones hello and our special guest legalized cannabis victoria mp rachel payne
0: hi hi martin hi steve thanks for having me
1: uh, Rachel. Thank you very much for joining us. Now you and your colleague David Etchershank have been um, pretty busy since you entered Parliament. It's hard to know where to begin really but, but seeing since your bill to legalise adult use was debated by MPs last week I guess that's probably a good place to start. Yes. Now Plenty of objections raised during the debate, um, but David made the point, I think, that no one was arguing to retain the status quo. Mm. Did you feel the arguments for the bill received a fair hearing?
0: I think this is an ongoing conversation, and, and the the volume of what we have to discuss when it comes to regulating cannabis for personal use is much more than the 90 minutes we were allocated. So. Um, A lot of listeners will, will see that we did actually adjourn that debate off to have that ongoing conversation next year. And I think largely the rhetoric was quite positive. There is definitely some misconceptions that we do need to spend some time not only working with our colleagues on but the wider community and for me that was mental health there was a few red flags around some of the positions that some of the members of parliament had when it came to the debate but I found it really interesting that you had for example Jacinta Amacora who represents Western Victoria had some really interesting points of view when it came to cannabis reform, uh, as well as Dr. Matthew Bark from the Liberal Party. Now, his position was in conflict to um, that of Georgie Crozier from the Liberal Party as well. So we did have a lot of those personal positions coming up by way of... Uh, We need to have some sort of reform here and what that looks like is going to involve community consultation, working with us, legalised cannabis MPs, but also what are the experts saying here and that's the bottom line of what we were trying to get to uh, with this debate is all the experts are saying that the status quo is no longer working and it hasn't done for many, many, many years. This is failed policy. But what was interesting throughout the debate was that harm minimisation was a key theme that was running through most of those that were presenting on the day. And to relate it back to harm minimisation means that we are going to start moving forward in this space because we know the greatest harms are caused by the current system.
1: It's interesting what you say, actually, about, you know, that whole thing about it, it feels like this can be quite a personal issue rather than a, a party yeah. political issue. But but nevertheless, you know, there, there seems to sometimes be a disconnect between what MPs might say in private versus what they say in public. And, you know, there's that sort of yeah. feeling they're afraid of what you know, the Murdoch press might do to them if they come out in favour of of legalisation. Has that been your experience, that you have a different conversation privately than the one you have on the floor of the house?
0: Look, quite interesting was a conversation we have, and I won't name names, but it was with an extremely senior member of parliament um, from the government who said, if if we were having these conversations five years ago, people would have been afraid to admit to either consuming cannabis or being supportive of reform in this space. Uh, What we saw with our debate was the swell of members of parliament coming out, and you know, coming out essentially as someone who had consumed cannabis, as someone who is. Supportive of reform in this space or acknowledging that the current system isn't working. Yeah, it, it's fascinating to me that I think the timing is right and there is a real shift in rhetoric. I have noticed that specifically based on just in my chamber in the upper house everyone's conversations in parliament whether it be around um, a debate around the uh, driving laws whether it be looking at harm minimization whether it be looking at cannabis reform more broadly all members of parliament from different sides of the political sphere are more educated now and I, and i put that down to david and i every week we are in parliament standing up and talking about it but they understand the difference between thc and cbd for example They understand people may no longer be impaired by their medication. There is that mutual understanding starting to form and what that is resulting in is some real shifts in the way that people are communicating around their own personal experiences. And yeah, you're right, behind the scenes and in Crossing in Corridors, we do have those conversations. Um, When we first started here, it was very much around all the dad jokes about being stoners, being high, being hippies, all these sorts no, of Nothing wrong
1: with a good dad joke.
0: <laughs> nothing <laughs> wrong with a good dad joke. And, you know, another very senior member of the government tried to convince me to spike all the sausage rolls, which is there's very famous parliament sausage rolls. And uh, they were trying to convince me on the last sitting week to spike all the sausage rolls, <laughs> to which... I haven't done, but look, I dare (laughs) say maybe one day we might get to a place where I could bring in some amazing edibles and, uh, you know, some people might choose to accept.
2: It's only a matter of time, (laughs) Rachel. It's only a matter of time. (laughs) Just picking up on on the sort of MPs, you know, coming out, if if you want, in terms of cannabis. Obviously, (laughs) since the debate, the media have been asking MPs if they've ever smoked weed, and I think... Even uh, Anthony Albanese was being, has been dragged into that,
0: mm-hmm. into that
2: discussion. Is that a good thing or a bad thing that, that the media is sort of a, a quizzing MPs about their own personal use of cannabis? Is that, is that good?
0: I find it really fascinating and I think it's always a good thing because, you know, we're quite limited in how much resourcing we can put out there by way of trying to get information out about what we're trying to achieve. And the media have grabbed onto this and it's become now a common conversation, which is fantastic because, uh, you know, we often get limited in what we're able to to publicise through social media and and channels like that. Um, Anything cannabis related often gets pinged. But when you look at some of the comments that Anthony Albanese made. I mean, first of all, he pleaded the fifth, which that's an ambition in its in itself, is it not? I mean, we've all seen photographs of him when he was a young socialist, labour, um, you know, part of that movement. He was he's been involved in the music scene. Um, you know, we 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 get a, a picture, a sense of of who he is and and what he's like. I think what was most important for me though is the the fact that our premier Jacinta Allen, who's only been in the role eight weeks came out and admitted to um, having interactions with cannabis. Now, you would never have seen Daniel Andrews doing that. You would never have seen Daniel Andrews um, as the former Premier, even contemplating those conversations. So for us, this is a leap forward. It's a slow leap. We're still up in the air, I would say. But it is definitely moving forward. And the fact that a lot of those MPs then decided to have that broader conversation about their interactions with cannabis Um, I actually got approached by a journalist over the weekend who informed me that um, over a third of the Victorian members of parliament had admitted to at one time consuming cannabis. And I said, well, that's really interesting statistics because that's reflective of the broader community that admit to doing that. So we know that those figures are quite conservative and I dare say they're quite conservative within our ranks within parliament as well. But it is, I think, a real step forward that Members of Parliament are talking about it, and clearly it is not as taboo as what it was, even, you know, say five years ago. Five years ago, if someone admitted to doing that, particularly a Premier, there would have been a scathing attack from the other side. We haven't seen that.
2: Mm. On the actual content of the bill itself, Rachel, Mm. obviously, unlike the Greens proposal, um, the bill doesn't seek to, to make cannabis a commercial industry. And obviously Jeremy, Jeremy Buckingham was, was sort of pains to point that out as well in New South Wales. Um, what, what's the thinking behind that strategy of, of not going down a, a commercial industry pathway at the moment?
0: I think for us what was important was um, knowing how we are a member of the crossbench. We are two votes, but we are two important votes. However, it will be the government of the day ultimately that, that will decide how regulation of cannabis Works, What the framework will be and how it will interact, whether it be state or federal um, government um, making those decisions. So for us, it was really important to review how both New South Wales and Victorian government operates. Um, They mainly like to operate in a staged approach when it comes to reform. So we felt as though the most important step was to remove that criminalisation. And I know from my membership base as Legalised Cannabis Victoria, the majority of my members call for the ability to be able to just grow their own, to be able to possess small quantities, to be able to share cannabis amongst their their friendship circles or if they're carers and so forth. Uh, So for us, it was also the perfect example of the ACT, the sky has not fallen in. This is a bill that is mirrored off that with some improvements, obviously, the ability to be able to gift actually sort of then would cut into that illicit market, but also factoring in the seeds and you know removing any of the abnormalities of the ACT model allowing for more plants to be grown allowing for you to grow indoors and outdoors Um, so we sort of put that proposal forward thinking this is a really good starting point in saying that legalized cannabis Victoria's policy is a three-staged approach and the second stage would look at supply so that may be around social clubs it may be around um, cooperatives And we would also look at expunging convictions. And then that third stage would be looking at, well, commercialisation. How do we do this? What is the best approach here? And what will be best and most fitting for Australia, really? Because we know that most of the models overseas, some parts will definitely work here, but Australia is fairly conservative. So we need to make sure that what we're offering is going to be in line with those community expectations.
1: And Rachel, we've chatted a bit about how, kind of, it's, it's quite a nuanced conversation in, in the sense that you know it, it crosses party affiliations, and you know mm-hmm. there's, even though the bill doesn't seek to create a, a commercial cannabis industry, there's still an economic case for legalisation in Mm -hmm. terms of reduced spending on policing, for example. But, you know, then you've got the fairness issue, you've got safety, you've got public health. Which kind of arguments do you think ultimately are likely to persuade MPs the most?
0: I think the harm minimisation approach is definitely where MPs are most aligned and, that not only looks at removing that criminalisation, but it also looks at who is being criminalised. So we know, um, just looking at Victoria, for example, if you are a young Indigenous person, you are six times more likely to get a court date rather than a um, rather than a diversion program. Uh, if you are a young um, person from a culturally diverse background, same sort of scenario. So what we're seeing is that There is still arrests going on, but it's within cohorts that um, are marginalised already. So speaking to members of parliament about that, they don't want to see this ongoing. And um, even speaking to the police, there is um, an understanding there that I wouldn't say they accept that these laws are outdated, but they definitely accept that of of all offences, this is on the lowest of levels. Um, In saying that, though, the ongoing conversation around mental health is really important. So I think that for both community and for more conservative members of parliament to be able to get on board with reform, we need to make sure that we have systems in place and whether it be looking at regulation and supply, Um, it it may include some sort of commercialisation, it may, it would definitely include some sort of um, regulatory model that would ensure safety, product standards um, and you know information and education. So there are so many different facets that you need to think of to satisfy the needs of what the government is going to require to make that step forward but in saying that there has been an inquiry into use of cannabis in 2021 that the government haven't responded to, which isn't a bad thing because they're not saying no yet. So that report there has a, has so much information that is relative. Uh, you also have the Pennington Institute who have um, provided a report of cannabis in Australia and they say that we need to regulate. These are weighty, evidence-based research reports that – Continuing on in that space, we would expect that experts would come together, review that information and make a proposal as to what's going to be best fitted for Victoria or for New South Wales or potentially Australia more broadly. But just back onto your point, Steve, about, I think you mentioned the Greens Bill and Mm. what's been interesting about Anthony Albanese, our Prime Minister, being queried around cannabis reform he just keeps reiterating that this is an issue for the states and I think that's probably the biggest downfall of the bill before federal parliament is that it doesn't take into account regulation has to be considerate of state-based laws so the criminal justice system the health sector education all of these um And planning laws, all of these facets have to be considered on a state-based level, whereas the federal government obviously would provide that opportunity to tax product. But first and foremost, it would be the states that would have to roll out that regulatory model. You know, just reiterating what the prime minister has said, I think it's important to acknowledge that the states chipping away at what regulation will look at is is the right path here.
1: Jamesy, I know you might want to have a follow-up question on the Greens plans, but... Mm, In terms of the process next, so as you say, the government has indicated that it's open to a conversation about harm minimisation. What happens next in terms of the kind of parliamentary process?
0: I think for us, the next step will be to actually propose what that next step will look like. And um, our thinking would be, and I've mentioned the, the two previous reports, the cannabis inquiry. So they've already done an inquiry. The stakeholder engagement on that level around Pennington and, and other organisations are leading are leading the way in in providing that evidence. But bringing, we have so much talent here in Australia around whether it be experts in in the legal profession, experts in um, mental health, experts in crime prevention, um, and consumer safety. We have all the expertise here. So. I would feel the next step would be to bring those minds together um, and review what has happened overseas, what we can learn, and what would be the next steps forward. Our job will also be to educate the community and bring that community engagement to the forefront, to continue to push the government to make reforms in this space. So I think it will probably be government-led. We can't do anything without the support of the government in Victoria, unfortunately. Yes, we are two deciding votes on the um, upper house crossbench, but if a bill goes through the upper house and it gets voted on and it gets accepted, it has to go back through the lower house and it is a Labor-dominant government in in the lower house. So often they won't even read a bill into the lower house if they don't want to. So having opportunity means working with the government going forward on this.
1: And actually, just on that, on that point, obviously, the same bill has been tabled in WA and, and New South Wales, and I think you're mm. all at slightly different stages. But have you got a sense of which state has the best chance of success?
0: <laughs> and you talk to some of those that are in positions of authority here within the government and they will say that there is quite a competitiveness going on between the states. So I uh, I have it under good authority that I think Victoria would like to go first, but I guess it would just depend on um, the government of the day and how much support there is within the community. And I think what has been shown by the uptake of Legalised Cannabis Party as elected members, I mean, we have five elected members across three states now, and our core message is just to legalise cannabis. So I think that really does show the majority of members of parliament that there is that support there within the community. Um, it's not a it's not an unusual conversation to have, and that's what we've seen over the last couple of weeks.
2: Mm. Just on the on the Greens bill that we've we've um, mm. we've touched on. Yeah. Well, they've placed a heavy emphasis on the, the economic sort of value of that. I think, I think the Parliamentary Budget Office said it could generate $28 million. Billion. My um, apologies, yeah, $28 billion. Mm. yeah. Will that argument resonate in Canberra, given, given the sort of federal government's tax-raising powers? Is, is that what could mm. get across the line, rather than anything else, Rachel?
0: It's an interesting one because I think when you're talking about drug law reform more broadly, um, most members of parliament I speak to, they know that there is opportunity there for revenue raising. And we have a a highly functioning, very successful cannabis industry in Australia already. It's just illicit. And all of that money that is accumulated within that cannabis industry is then funding more organised crime. It, It is well known within government and it is well known within parliament more broadly but i think having the position that it will raise revenue is is a no brainer it's a given and we just have to look overseas for that but i think what will be front and center here particularly for reform of cannabis in australia will be that harm minimization space i think it will be more around um how do we get the community on board? How do we keep people safe? How do we educate people and then yeah, how do we how do we make sure that people are safe when they 're consuming before we start thinking about well, there is opportunity here to um, have an income stream, move from the illicit market into you know, a green economy, so to speak, and bigger picture, I would think, would also be the opportunity for tourism. Uh, there would be opportunity, and as, as someone who recently went to Thailand, I saw how how much there was a cannabis tourism industry just within Thailand. I could see that that would be a reality here in Australia as well. Some of the things I'm, I would say about the the Greens Bill, though, um, in federal parliament, would be looking at different ways of regulating cannabis, some of the ideas that they presented, I think, would cross over the lines of what would be state responsibility. So whether it be sort of looking at cafes being able to set up or a dispensary being able to set up, they would all be limited under planning laws. Um, And as someone who used to have a background in the adult industry, I saw what happened with classification of X-rated materials. So on a federal level, they made it legal for X-rated material to be to be classified X, to be sold and for you to be able to buy that. But then the states decided, well, no, X is illegal and R-rated material would be only allowed. So you've got that imbalance there when it comes to how best to move forward here and it has to be the states working with the federal government on this.
1: Does it frustrate you a little bit? rachel that you kind of have to go so slowly you know that kind of all those are you know it's a staged approach as you say but you know do you you get a little bit frustrated sometimes like can't we just get on with this
0: oh i've just just about got through my first year of parliament and i can't believe how slowly some (laughs) things move and then other days you're expected to be able to pivot on a decision uh within a split second so yes look i I do appreciate that things do take time by way of making sure that we get it right. And the last thing we want to see is a, is a policy that is rolled out that could have the potential to cause more harm. I'm not saying that that would happen. but um, Or something where it really puts community off and we start to have an us-versus-them mentality around cannabis. I mean, cannabis is already so stigmatised as is, but we are seeing naturally and organically that stigma shifting by way of more people accessing cannabis medicinally and i think that just having those broader conversations bringing community on board experts coming out from whether it be you know legal experts saying the majority of people who are charged with offenses here are young indigenous or migrant communities those that are that we're seeing end up in situations where they need more support it is because of stigma. Do we have more more work to do here? Most certainly. But it's about also, I think, government being brave and really stepping up and seeing that this is – it's 95 years of failed drug policy here. We don't want to get to 100. And I think when, when people ask me, when do you think cannabis will be legalised? I can't answer that. <laughs> that was the next
2: question.
0: In my, in my lifetime, most certainly you know, if you asked me five years ago, I would have said 10 years ago. If you're asking me today, I would say that we do not want to get to the um, 100 year mark of fail policy. So that is my argument always to government is the 100 year mark is when we completely and utterly need to have this sorted out. We do not, anything, any other industry or any other business, a 100 year of fail policy would have been scrapped. Tenfold. So okay. get with the program. It's very interesting
1: because our next question was going to be, you know, have you got a timeline? So, so, so the answer you've just, you've just answered that one. I mean, it's interesting you say, you know, hopefully in your lifetime. I suppose you know, will it be in Jones's lifetime? That's probably <laughs> probably <sincerely> so.
0: <laughs>
1: you know relative timeframes is what I, was, yeah. what I was thinking of.
0: That. Cannabis is a widely consumed product you know every I know so many I consume cannabis I know so many people who whether it is um, just socially like to have a joint or whether it is medicinal cannabis use um, so many people are now accessing cannabis and are appreciating the benefits that they're having from that so and I know that a lot of my members of parliament colleagues are also relaying those stories to me so the rhetoric is changing so I think we will see change It's inevitable, it's just how it rolls out and what it's going to look like, I think, are the bigger questions. Yeah, it's always
1: felt a little bit like, you know, it's an issue that some politicians aren't prepared to lead on. So it's almost kind Mm. of bottom up rather than top down. So when Mm. you get that kind of weight of public opinion all pushing for the same thing, that's, you know, if you look at other jurisdictions, typically that's when it's happened. There's that kind of tipping point. And I I guess we're getting very close to that if we're not at it already.
0: I think so, yes.
1: Look, Rachel, we could talk forever, but I'm very aware of your time and you do have other things to do than than to chat to us. So I just wanted to actually just conclude, if I may, on a, on a slightly lighter note. Mm. We've talked a lot about the benefits of legalising adult use, but we ran a story recently about Mexican researchers have found scientific proof that cannabis users have more empathy than the rest of the population. Oh, in a study published yeah in a study published in the Journal of Neuroscience Research, psychological assessments found regular users tend to have a greater understanding of the emotions of others. So there you go, it is official cannabis does make you a nicer person. Now, Jonesy, you, you rarely touch the stuff. What did you make of the study?
2: I I see what you're (laughs) saying. I I, I presume you're familiar with the big law. I think it just goes to show that studies aren't always
1: accurate. (laughs) We better leave it there, Rachel. Thanks so much for your time and so much for everything you do for the industry.
0: Thank you. Keep
1: on keeping on because it it really does feel like we are starting to. see some some meaningful dialogue if not yet some meaningful change
0: thank you and and thank you to you and jonesy for all the work that you do as well i mean we're a community and as a community the more vocal we are together and the stronger we are together the more we get done so i really appreciate all the work you do as well thank you thank you thank, Thank you. thank
1: you very much jonesy thanks to you you're welcome and and to rachel and we'll see you next time on the cannabis podcast